Welcome to the All Things Protest Podcast. I'm Rob Sneckenberg, and with me today are my co-hosts, Christian Curran and Olivia Lynch. Today, we'd like to highlight a recent GAO decision that caught our eye. While roughly 45% of protests result in some form of corrective action, including sometimes a sustained protest, sustains are actually somewhat rare in published GAO decisions, occurring only about 15% of the time. In Harmonia Holdings Group, though, GAO sustained four separate issues and addressed an issue dealing with consultant protective order applications. We'd like to highlight a few of those issues and some takeaways for our listeners. Christian, why don't you kick us off with a consultant protective order issue? Thanks, Rob. And so I should start off by noting that this is a relatively rare issue in a GAO decision. We don't normally see protective order application issues discussed in GAO decisions and certainly not consultant protective order applications. And this is interesting because folks put in consultant protective order applications all the time, and obviously they don't show up in decisions most of the time because nothing's gone wrong. But when something does go wrong, it's important to take note because as companies are thinking about who they're going to use as consultants for protests and outside counsel, it's really important that these folks are going to be representing you that you are aware of and understand their relationship, not just to your company, but to the competitive space in general, so that an issue like this doesn't arise and cause you a headache in the protest. Because given the tight timing of protests, as we all know, once something like this happens, you're really not able to recover from it once you get into the protest if your consultant application is denied, and then you've got to go try to find somebody else. So it is kind of an overlooked issue, but important nonetheless. And here, GAO found two specific flaws with one of Harmonia's consultant order applications, one dealing with competitive decision-making and the second with a potential misrepresentation. So let's first talk about the competitive decision-making issue. Now, a lot of folks might not understand what that really means. GAO's protective order guide defines competitive decision-making from the case called U.S. Steel Corp as a counsel's activities, associations, and relationship with a client that are such as to involve counsel's advice and participation in any or all of a client's decisions, pricing, product design, etc., made in light of similar or corresponding information about a competitor. Now, that's kind of a mouthful, but what this came down to in the decision was GAO's focus on the first consultant's involvement in competitive decision-making specifically where that consultant indicated that he was providing marketing and proposal support, not only for Harmonia, but for different companies. And GAO caught that as a huge red flag. And in the decision listed that as kind of the main reason as to why they found that this consultant was engaged in competitive decision making. Now, in response to objections on this issue, Harmonia asserted that he wasn't providing decision-making for Harmonia specifically, and that the proposal services provided were limited in nature. And he had another side gig providing advice to a company that did proposal support services, but said that was very broad and unrelated. But GAO rejected all of this reasoning and found that because the consultant affirmatively represented that he provided marketing and proposal support, that they view these activities as competitive decision-making and that this created a huge risk of inadvertent disclosure. As a secondary issue, GAO also found that a potential misrepresentation on the consultant's application also gave GAO pause with regard to admitting this particular consultant. 
Specifically, the consultant indicated on his application that he provided protest support work for a different GAO protest that was covered by a protective order, but GAO found no record of his involvement in that protest. Now, GAO did not go so far as to find that he misrepresented things on his resume, but indicated that even such an inadvertent error raised a concern that the consultant was not addressing the protective order process with, as GAO put it, sufficient gravity and care, and for that reason as well, denied his admission. So both of these issues really highlight that GAO does pay attention to consultant applications and applications in general for protective orders, and they're not just going to take folks' word for it. So when vetting a consultant, not only do outside counsel need to be involved in ensuring themselves and the client that there's no competitive decision-making issues, there's no misrepresentation issues with the resume, with the backup materials, but clients that are considering using consultants need to be aware of their relationship and how that could impact this process at GAO. Thanks, Christian. Turning to the substantive issues that GAO addressed, the first and primary issue on which GAO sustained the protest dealt with cost realism. Now, this was a far subpart 8.4 task order with both fixed price and cost-based CLINs. And GAO spent a lot of time talking about the agency's cost realism analysis, finding multiple problems. At a high level, the agency selected a subset of only five key personnel labor rates and said that the awardee's cost was lower overall solely based on those five rates. GAO walked through a number of issues with that finding. First, GAO noted that there were six key personnel positions in the RFQ, so selecting only five on an ad hoc basis didn't quite make sense. Second, the five positions represented less than half of the offer's respective positions overall, so again, why rely on just the five? Third, the agency didn't account for differing numbers of positions per offeror or for differing escalation rates, which GAO held could have impacted the overall analysis of the offer's respective costs. Fourth, the rates analyzed were for optional CLINs, and the agency didn't provide workload estimates for those CLINs that would have enabled a fulsome evaluation of what the impact of those five rates may have actually been. So Rob, it sounds like there were a litany of errors here in the cost evaluation. Was the agency able to rely on anything to support this? For instance, was this the scheme that was set forth in the evaluation criteria as to how this would actually be evaluated? No, Christian, and that's a good point because that was actually GAO's last finding here. GAO held that the solicitation didn't set up the evaluation in this manner, and thus it was further unreasonable for the agency to evaluate proposals this way. So to summarize this litany of issues here, and there are really two key takeaways. First and foremost is the usual that agencies must evaluate proposals in a manner consistent with the solicitation, which didn't happen here. And second, that evaluation has to be logical. I'm Olivia Lynch, and I'm just going to briefly talk about the past performance evaluation here. GAO sustained the evaluation of both the protester and the awardee's past performance for inadequate documentation. Looking at the GAO decision and what documents were actually cited in its discussion of the past performance evaluation, as well as a footnote that GAO dropped in its discussion of the past performance evaluation, it looks like the agency, at least at GAO, didn't produce any underlying evaluation documents regarding past performance. The evaluation documents that GAO is citing to are the evaluation board summary and the award summary. 
that's kind of unusual in and of itself that the agency wouldn't have had some kind of a documentation of the individual references that were proposed in response to the RFP criteria. Olivia, that does sound really unusual. And and didn't GAO in this case actually ask the agency for the additional information? Yeah, that was the footnote. GAO noted that it asked that the agency provide any additional documents for the record should they exist, and if not, to affirmatively state that such documents do not exist. And what GAO noted was that even though the agency didn't provide any additional documents, they also did not affirmatively state that no documents existed. But ultimately, what I think GAO had a problem with is that the evaluation criteria called for evaluation of the degree to which any of the three references submitted in the offeror's proposals were similar in size, scope, and complexity to the requirements of the RFQ. And that evaluation was just not documented in the record. The award summary had some extremely high-level discussion of the fact that the source selection official, who I think was also the contracting officer here, had considered additional information, including reference checks, review of PIPRs for the awardee, evaluators' firsthand knowledge of two of the awardees' proposed key personnel, as well as firsthand knowledge of a prior contract performed by the protester for that agency. And what GAO said about this summary of the other information considered was, first of all, that all of that spoke to the substance or the quality of the prior efforts, and it still didn't amount to an evaluation of the degree to which any of the references were similar in size, scope, or complexity. And then GAO also just dropped a footnote to say that even if it had spoke to the evaluation criteria, it was still inadequately documented. I would expect, and I think we typically see where agencies go into the PIPR system, that they actually list the contracts considered, whether they're relevant and what the evaluation is of them. So yeah, we just thought this was an interesting sustain here. I actually wondered in this case whether the fact that it was a FAR 8.4 procurement somehow impacted the type of evaluation they did and the fact that it was, at least with respect to past performance, very inadequately documented. I think we're seeing a lot in like FAR 16.5 cases and to some extent in the FAR Part 8.4 that this is not a FAR Part 15 procurement, so we don't need to comply with FAR Part 15 and some stuff may be falling by the wayside that you would otherwise expect. Yeah, that's a great point, Olivia. And I think here, GAO clearly said that regardless of the evaluation scheme set up, be it 8.4, be it 16, the agency has to evaluate in accordance with the solicitation, and it has to document that evaluation so the GAO can review it. So it doesn't matter the type of procurement, it has to be documented, has to be rational, and with the solicitation. And then further to Christian's point, consultant PO issues are rarely documented in decisions, but the decisions that there are provide great guidance for avoiding potential pitfalls on competitive decision-making and really to ensuring that the process for litigating protests and using experts works in the future. So we hope this discussion has been helpful, and until next time, thanks for listening. The All Things Protest podcast is brought to you by Kroll & Mooring LLP. You can find more information at kroll.com slash allthingsprotest.